Thanks, Megan. Good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Richard of Three Hour Sermon Fame. <laughs> and I thought it'd be fun to put that to the test today and see just how painful it is. So settle in. There's no service until seven, so this is awesome. Let's take a moment and pray together. Father, thanks that we can gather within these walls and listen for your voice. And we do believe that you speak into creation uh, and that you speak into our hearts. Our desire is to like attune ourselves right now to you and invite you to teach us. Shape us to be people of hope in this world in this very uh, stormy moment. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. So I live, as many of you know, east of Seattle, up at Snoqualmie Pass, just off of I-90. And as you're driving up there, when you get past exit 47, you may know the road splits. Well, down between the eastbound and the westbound, there's a campground. It's called Denny Creek Campground. And sometime in the next two weeks, probably, we'll get a phone call as locals from the Forest Service uh, inviting we who burn wood as our primary source of heat to come down to the campground before it opens on uh, Memorial Day weekend and cut up trees that have fallen down. Because every winter, a bunch of trees fall down, right? And if you talk to people who know trees, they will tell you that one of the predominant causes, I mean, trees blow down for many reasons. There's storms and ice storms and wind storms and all those kinds of things. But ultimately, if a whole tree falls down, the flaw, the pathology begin not at the top in the visible part, but the pathology always begins in the roots, right? And this is actually reinforced in the scriptures in Mark chapter 11. Jesus is going with his disciples into Jerusalem, and he's hungry, and he sees a fig tree not in the season of bearing figs, right? So it's a weird story, because he's hungry, and he goes to the fig tree to, to eat a fig. And, and not surprisingly, there are no figs. And then Jesus, in a, a bizarre statement, he says, may no one ever eat from you again. And then he walks into town. If you're one of the disciples, that's got to be one of the weird moments with Jesus, right? It's like, hello, it's still late winter. <laughs> there are no figs. But then when they come back later, very shortly, the, the tree's dead. But what's key for our time this morning is this. It says that the tree had withered from the roots up. In other words, when Jesus curses the tree, it's dead immediately, but it's dead immediately where? In the roots, still up top, everything looks fine. But the problem isn't up top, the problem is in the roots. But if the problem is in the roots, ultimately, inexorably, inevitably, the problem will be revealed in the top as well, because the death begins in the part which is hidden from public view in the roots. And this, by the way, is the story of many in our culture, right? Things can look just fine outwardly for quite some time for an individual, for a family, for a faith community, for a city, for a nation, for a species called humanity. It can look good for a long time, 
but be challenged at the root level, at the invisible level. At the away from the public eye level, things are not well. And so what we've seen in the last couple of decades in the church is the mighty fall of many, many Christian leaders right in the midst of what appeared to be hourly success. Are you with me? Like the church is growing, uh, and by all the kind of common capitalistic metrics, there's people in the pews, the budget's looking good, and then bam, the leader, you know, collapses in some moral failure or financial scandal, or other form of leadership failure. The same thing happens in businesses. The same thing happens in families. I thought they were the happiest family. What happened? Suddenly, after 20 years of marriage, there's infidelity. Or suddenly, uh, the, the, the marriage implodes because of some you know, other reason of some sort. And I want to say to you, whether it's the Christian leader, or it's the family implosion, or it's the nation's implosion, uh, no, it wasn't sudden. It was invisible for a long time because we were paying attention to the wrong metrics. But, it, but the, the decay was happening in the roots, right? And then the storm just simply revealed the pathology that was already present in the roots. And I, this, why does this matter? Because we're in a time of storm. <laughs> Inflation, Ukraine, true genuine threats to our democracy, both in America and in Europe, Leadership failures in the church and the state that have eroded our capacity to work together on anything. And on top of all this, oceans of, you know, personal individual pain. It's cancer. It's infidelity. It's domestic violence. It's, it's economic uncertainty. It's economic loss. It's job loss. So in all of the midst of the storms, the calling remains that Paul prays here, and the calling is this, that you would be filled with all the fullness of God. In other words, that you would display to the world nothing less than the character of Jesus, who is the image bearer of the living God, right? And that seems like a tall order. But in order to stand as people of hope and know peace and have courage and see clearly and bear fruit in these days, days today, which I believe are better than the days facing our immediate future, we need rock-solid, unshakable identity in Christ. And that's our theme this morning in our series regarding wholeness. The foundation of everything that comes beyond this is identity in Christ. We start with identity. Why? Because we start with the roots. That's why. The initial growth is invisible. It's in the roots. And so we're going to consider what it means to be rooted and grounded in love today by looking at these three elements related to identity. Number one, the end and the why. In other words, why? Is being rooted and grounded so important? And the answer is that we would be filled with the fullness of God. Second, right, we consider the means for that identity, which is we become rooted and grounded in love. And third, we uh, declare a mystery related to that identity, which is when the story is over, as our faith matures, we know a love which, quote-unquote, surpasses knowledge. That's the mystery. We know something that surpasses knowledge. So we'll look at those three things, and we begin with this, the end and the why. In other words, here's the exhortation. Hey, everybody, um, I want you rooted and grounded in love. Why? And here's why. So that you could be filled with all the fullness of God. And so let's just think about this uh, phrase for just a moment, the fullness of God. Because the fullness of God is kind of this concept in the scriptures that appear, you know, and Jesus says in Matthew 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, therefore, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That sounds like fullness. Ephesians 5, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Colossians 1, be filled with the knowledge of God's will. John 7, 
Here's Jesus with a beautiful kind of uh, uh, water metaphor related to fullness. He says, if anyone's thirsty, and I am, come to me and drink. I'll not just fill your cup, I'll turn you into a river so that you now have not enough for your own life, not just enough to get by. I want you to be a person of capacity to bring hope and healing and justice and mercy and wisdom and hospitality to the world. You will become a river. That's fullness, right? And so so Paul's prayer here has at the end of it that you would be filled with the fullness of God. So let me just say here at the, at the, at the outset that's God's goal for your life. If I was writing a tract and try to convert people to Christianity, and I put it in quotes, I would not begin with God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And I don't mean to be disparaging. God does love you. God does have a wonderful plan. What is more motivating to me is hearing this. God's desire for me and you and us is that we would be so filled with nothing less than the life of the creator of the universe, so filled that we're filled to the brim and we begin to overflow into a very thirsty world, hope, mercy, justice, healing, wisdom. If that's the life for which I'm created, sign me up. Because frankly, like I feel storm after storm after storm and I feel like I can barely stand up. And God doesn't say, hey, come to me and I'll help you stand. God says, come to me, and I will so strengthen you, so fill you, so transform you, that you will be filled with the fullness of God, and you will overflow into the world. You have a calling to be a blessing. I'm in. It's worth living for. So here, don't lower the bar on fullness. God, God's vision for your life, fullness. So let me, I'll just ask, what's your vision for your life? Oh, you know, I want to get married. Think bigger. <laughs> oh, okay. Kids too. Bigger. New job. New location. Want to get out of the... Really? This is spring? I'm out. I want to move to San Diego. That's God's will for my life. Think bigger. Bigger, bigger, bigger. Why? Because God's desire doesn't, doesn't begin with you being called to do something, God's desire begins with you being called to be something. And what is that something? You are a vessel, so surrendered, so available, so intimate with your creator that your creator has the capacity to fill you with nothing less than the character of the creator of the universe. So that you then become this person who is in conversation, really present with people. And and you become a person of generosity. And you become a person... Filled with joy because you're alive to the beauty of the world. You notice creation like St. Francis. You notice the flowers. You notice the season. You notice the moon. You notice the beauty of conversation, the beauty of intimacy, the good taste of your coffee, the good taste of your wine. You notice a meal and you give thanks and you live a life of worship. But you're not only filled with, with this attunement to beauty, you're also filled with compassion so that you're alive to the suffering of the world and responsive to the suffering of the world. And we live in a world so polarized that many are addicted to beauty and hardened to solidarity with any suffering. And many are so deeply victimized by suffering that they're fixated on suffering and never enjoying the beauty. Who enjoys both? Who lives in both? Those who have fullness. 
And I'll suggest to you that uh, the world will wake up and pay attention to the voice of the church when the voice of the church embodies the beauty of Christ. Brian Zahn uh, wrote a book entitled Beauty Will Save the World. And what he's really saying is that it's the beauty of our personhood in Christ that's compelling and inviting. Here's a quote from him. It's been said that no one ever became a Christian because they lost an argument. I suspect this is true. I also suspect far more people than we imagine have become converts to Christianity for the simple reason they were charmed by the beauty of Christ. I'd much rather ground biblical Christian faith on the beauty of Christ than biblical literalism. Biblical literalism can be debunked by a college freshman, but the beauty of Christ can withstand the most formidable attack Nietzsche can muster. If I'm hanging my bets on the survival of the Christian faith as we hurtle into the secular age, it's because the king of hearts is still so beautiful. I'm willing to bet my grandchildren's faith on the beauty of Christ. Now, let me just unpack that for just a moment. We, we live, to speak philosophy for seconds here, we live in a postmodern time, and what that means is that people are far less um, compelled and transformed by your, you know, evidence of the veracity of Christianity than 30 years ago. So uh, you want to prove that Jonah was swallowed by a literal whale. You want to prove that Nineveh was a real city. You want to you want to show me the veracity and reliability of the original manuscripts of the Bible. You want to show me the historicity of Joshua and the wall falling down. And then you want to prove the resurrection through, you know, putting it on trial and showing the evidence. Hey, listen, I'm not saying there's zero value in any of that. I'm saying that in a postmodern age, people are like this, whatever, not convinced. Why? Because uh, we have been lied to, all of us, for 50 years at least. We live, we live, look, we live in a world where authority, authority figures said, um, you know, I didn't commit a crime, Richard Nixon. I didn't have sex with that woman, Bill Clinton. There are no weapons of mass, there are weapons of mass destruction. George W. Bush. And, and I, I, like I could go on and on and on and on so that you could see, oh yeah, we live in a world where people that we trusted said this and then that happened. And it's not just political leaders and it's not just presidents. Sometimes it's our parents, sometimes it's our teachers, sometimes it's our missionaries, sometimes it's our pastors, and we're done. So, yeah, not sure. But the one thing that is irrefutable, undeniable, is how you present to someone. Are you with me? Like, if you make eye contact, if you have people over for dinner, if, if, if your heart is compassionate and therefore in solidarity with the least of these, and therefore you're building relationships and crossing social divides, whether it's working as happened yesterday in the Mother's Day brunch over here at the Aurora Commons or any other way, that's compelling. Some of our neighbors here who are not people of faith are very supportive of Bethany Community Church. Why? Not because of what I'm doing right now. They find that annoying. Some of them, I know, they've come and left. <laughs> but what is not annoying is addressing homelessness, is loving people who nobody loves, is crossing social divides. That, that's, that's evidence that there's something here. Beauty will save the world. Don't miss it. Propositional truths are important. 
We're studying them this morning in a Bible study in Ephesians because we respond to Revelation. That's how we're transformed. But the response to Revelation isn't that our intellect is now rewired so that we can better argue the propositions of the faiths. The transformation is this, 2 Corinthians 3, from glory to glory to glory to glory, looking more and more and more and more like Christ, like Christ at Amazon, like Christ at Microsoft, like Christ with your neighbors, like Christ with your children, like Christ with your aging parents, like Christ with the gay couple, the straight couple, the people of color, with everybody, like Christ. That's the fullness of God. It's a beautiful goal. So I hope that you have this goal in mind, because if I have this as a goal, I want to be filled with the fullness of God so that I represent Jesus accurately in my city, that I have to change, you know, the actual way I order my life so that I'm moving toward that goal. Does that, does that make sense? In other words, when, when my wife and I hiked the Alps in 2014, we didn't just drive to SeaTac, hop on a plane, get there and start ascending 4,000 feet a day and hiking 15 miles. We prepared for that goal. And we prepared by putting milk jugs filled with water in a backpack and going to Discovery Park and hiking the same loop over and over and over and over again. Or going down there to Green Lake to the Aqua Theater and, you know, with a pack on going, doing steps. Someone's doing a step community group, or has, I guess. Have fun. It's not for me, but that's okay. Um, the point would be, if you have a goal, then you order your life around the goal. So I hope you see, this is God's goal for you, that you would represent the heart of Christ to our world. Now, if that's the goal and you buy into that goal, how do we get there? Well, the means is this. We need to be rooted and grounded in love. And this root word is, is certainly synonymous with the literal roots of trees and plants. And so we're going to kind of go into some biology here for just a moment. I'm going to show you three things that are true about roots that must be true of us. Roots are receptive, roots have depth, and roots do invisible work. Those are all really, really important. Receptive, have depth, do invisible work. Roots are receptive. Remember what Jesus said? Hey, why are you worried about, you know, what you're going to eat, drink, wear? What, you know, what's happening in your 401k in the midst of the market? You know, why are you worried about your future that way? And then what does Jesus say? Consider the lilies. What do lilies do? Well, from a visible standpoint, nothing. Like if you go to the tulip field, they're not holding committee meetings to, you know, figure out what's the next thing to do to conquer the field or something like that. They're not, they're not on the move. They don't have a mission statement. What do they do? What, what does a tulip do in Skagit County? It just sits there, or so you think. But no, not really. Everything it does is underground, and it's actively, actively receiving. It's receiving, receiving, receiving. Why? Because uh, just everybody turn to your left and look out the window. You see those leaves out there on those trees? Those leaves are literally right and at this moment. They're exhaling. They're exhaling oxygen that, that, we're, that we're still here inhaling today because of the benef benevolence of our creator who made the system that way, which, by the way, is why the Amazon 
Rainforest matters a great deal. But that's a whole different sermon. It's a series coming, I'm sure. So the moment you look and you say, oh, well, that's good that they're healthy and doing their thing. We're the beneficiaries of that. You know, how are they doing that? Well, because down underneath, the roots are actively receiving from the soil. And they're bringing nutrients up to the phloem and xylem or whatever it is you biologists know. They're bringing the, they're bringing the nutrients up. The nutrients are making way there to the leaves. And then in the miracle of sunshine in Seattle, every once in a while, there's a little, um, a little chemistry that goes on, a little alchemy. And then they're transformed and they're able to exp- expirate. They're able to exhale and, get, and share oxygen. But it all starts where? Not in the big public meeting and not in the goals and not in the master plan. It starts with stopping and receiving. Roots receive. So for, for me, that translates into my need to receive from my creator again and again continually the depth of my identity in Christ. And my practice for that is meditation. So I'm going to encourage you to begin a meditation practice, and we'll just, I'll just show you a little bit how it works this morning. And when you leave here, you can get a card like this, Identity Truths. They look like bookmarks out there. Or you can get an 8.5 by 11 piece of paper with Identity Truths. However you do it, I have, you know, I have one of these on the refrigerator. And in the mornings, once my coffee is prepared, I, like I sit down, read a little scripture, and then I'll meditate on my identity in Christ. And, oh, well, what does that look like? It's not emptying my mind as are some meditation practices. It's not focusing on my breath, as are others. No, it's focusing on some truth that God has declared to be true about me, right? So, for example, if I'm feeling lonely, I may appropriate on some morning, uh, Deuteronomy 31.8, God will be with you, never leave you, nor forsake you. And I will say, thank you, God, on the inhale, thank you, God, that you're always with me. And then exhale. If I'm feeling weak, you are my strength, Lord, on the inhale. Thank you. If I'm confused, you are my wisdom, Lord. Thank you. If I'm sick, you are my healer, Lord. Thank you. If I get up in the morning and I don't want to be with you, <laughs> I'm called, Lord. Thank you. Do you see? So, I mean, we, and then, for me, it's five minutes, little inhale, little exhale, and I get on with my day. Let me tell you something. There's nothing uh, magical there's no kumbaya moment. Lightning doesn't strike. There's no big visions. I don't start sweating. Nothing. But I believe, and I believe that it's true. I'm be slowly, invisibly being transformed just like those trees, right? Because I'm receiving, 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 receiving. That's how you get rooted. So you need receptivity. Second, you need depth if you're going to be rooted, I was preparing this sermon in a different location than my wife, and my wife, who volunteers for the Forest Service here in Washington State, has a nickname, Jane Muir, because of her love for trees. And so I wrote her, and I I texted her, I said, hey, what do you know about uh, roots? Tell me everything you know, in one paragraph, right? And then so she sends back this, and I quote now Jane Muir, a.k.a. Donna Dahlstrom, this. Roots are constantly on the search for moisture and nutrients, so they'll wrap around anything that stands in their way, be it a large boulder or other trees. And when they wrap, when they, when they face obstacles, interestingly, what happens is when they go around something, they end up tangling their roots with the roots of other trees, and that does two things. It creates the capacity to share resources, and it provides stability in the storms of life. Trees are better together. 
as we've seen the demise of trees on the edges of roads or clear cuts, trees show us the power of community for communication, strength, nourishment, support, and the investment in the, in the lives of younger generations. Old trees receive, and then out of excess, old trees offload extra carbon and nutrients, and they go through the roots to the mycelium network of kind of mushroom wires into the forest, and then younger trees receive nutrients from older trees and hear this, the younger trees cannot survive without the nutrients from the older trees. Happy Mother's Day. I mean, that's it, right? The younger trees receive the wisdom and grace and mercy and provision of the older trees. It's just, a, it's just an incredibly, you know, beautiful picture. And then, you know, when a tree, even when a tree dies, in the book Finding the Mother Tree, the author articulates, boy, as soon as a, you know, a chainsaw starts cutting into a tree, the tree knows that it's capital punishment for some crime committed or it's a victim. And so the tree then begins offloading all of its carbon down through the roots into the mycelium network to all the surrounding trees. It's like, I'm done here. I'm going to share everything I have with the next generation. And so fascinating to me, it shares with all trees, even trees of different species, but shares more with the trees that are its direct descendants. Is that not incredible to you? So, so we're, we're receptive, and when we go deep, you know, we're granted this capacity to share and bless, and our lives become interwoven in unity. We're better together. And I just want to pause and note that we have not been better lately as a culture, together. We can't get together, left and right, masks and not, vax and not. And the church has been, you know, hijacked by, by culture wars rather than elevating the centrality and purity and simplicity of devotion to Christ. And as a result, often we look just like the world divided. Better to intertangle our roots, right? So um, finally, it's invisible work, right? R- roots are receptive, they're deep, and the work is invisible. In the springtime, one acre of grassland over in Kennewick or Richland or something has about 1,000 pounds of standing shoot mass above ground, but 3,500 pounds of roots below ground. So just hear it because it's really important. Uh, the root work you do in your life is, uh, is invisible. And why is this important to say? Because we live in a culture fixated with our own visible images, one to the one to the other. In other words, we're like, I've heard it said, everybody's a brand now, and people are you know working hard on TikTok and Instagram to create their own you know brand and level of social networking and influence. And then you know the likes become important, and then how you present becomes important, and then what you wear becomes important, and you know what you post becomes important, what you do becomes important. And then you begin if that's if you think that's who you are, you're not doing the root work. The rule work is invisible. It's not on Instagram, but, but it's so necessary. This is why in the scriptures, there's a rhythm of engagement and withdrawal, right? Engagement, that's your public self. That's the above ground stuff. You buy, you sell, you marry, you confront, you create, you invest, you eat, you plant, 
you paint. But then there must be the invisible, you know, solitude, silence, meditation. That's the root work. It's very non-utilitarian. But, you know, you look at it, you, again, you look at a tulip field, nobody's on the move. They're just receiving, and the roots then are creating, they're creating beauty out of receptivity. Your beauty as well will come, but it'll come out of receptivity. This results in strength to weather storms. When it comes to the human soul, the root work is hidden. So, you know, as I've shared, we have this above life, uh, above ground life, you know, vocation, family, all the stuff. It's on display. And this stuff that you have that's on display, I will tell you, people give you feedback, right? So uh, one of our pastors is a trapeze artist, and he gets, he gets feedback. He posts stuff flying through the air, and it's fantastic, really. Really, it is amazing. Um, that's, his, that's part of his public persona, right? But what people don't know about the same guy is what's going on you know, in the, in, the, in the root work. And I, I don't know either right now, so I'm being purely hypothetical. Nobody knows, you know, everything about his own doubts or fears or hopes or dreams or the issues that most light his fire. No, it's, that's root work, man. We're all, we, we, need, we need to see that the feedback that we get regarding our public self, sometimes accurate, sometimes wildly inaccurate. So when you take a stand for truth, you're going to get criticized about it. So, like, how do I rise above the storms, you know, of criticism and negativity and division and act, false accusations? How do I rise above that? Uh, roots. I, I mean, I, I need to be rooted in Christ. So that, come what may, above ground, you know, we listen, we pray. We're not, we're not impervious to criticism, but we're not driven by a lust for approval, either individually or as a community, I hope. Hope that who we are comes out of roots. Second, uh, you know, this rootedness that comes through meditation will will enable us to overcome our uh, kind of the storms of our own failures and shames. Uh, There's a book entitled Force Faith. It's written by Richard Dahlstrom and Abby Odio. He's a better speaker than author, but this is in his book. So let me just quote this. For just a minute. God knows there are plenty of voices declaring our inadequacy, some loud and direct, others more subtle. Don't you know it, right? To the extent that we unquestionably believe these, we're at risk of derailing our calling. Sometimes we add to our woes by making terrible choices to self-medicate the pain of shame that comes to us by believing these lies. And then we eventually become angry cynics whose vision for living a meaningful life withers like a tree whose roots are dead. Unless we're well-rooted, these winds will topple us. We'll find ourselves functionally cut off from the source of all that is good and life-giving for our souls. When uh, our election came down in 2016, if I'm just being vulnerable here, I said one thing on social media that created a firestorm and had me feeling like the worst human on the planet. And, and my immediate response was this, you know what, I'm done. I'm just done. I do not, I do not want to live in a place so divisive, so toxic, so fear-based, so accusatory, so quick to kind of vilify people. I'm out. And then uh, I prayed. <laughs> and then I remembered I'm rooted. I'm grounded. I'm accepted. I'm loved. I'm gifted. I'm called. 
and back in. Are you with me? It comes from the roots, not the reactions. So don't be party to the reactionary culture in which you find yourself. You're made to be deeply rooted in order that you might display hope in a hopeless world. That leads to the final thing, the mystery. And the mystery is this. To the extent that we're rooted, we end up with a, a knowledge of love that surpasses knowledge. Now, that's kind of impossible to explain, but I'll explain it just by sharing one story, and with this I close. There was a, uh, there was a conversation this week at a conference at which I was speaking where a guy said to me, look, I've been a Christian since I was 10, and I, and I know, and he points to his head like this, I know I'm forgiven. I know I'm forgiven. But he said, Richard, it's, for 20 years I haven't lived in, living? <laughs> I haven't lived as one forgiven. I haven't lived as one forgiven. I, 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 my, my, my life with God and some of my most important relationships, shame-based. He says, just only now, as I become rooted in Christ, can I know that I'm loved. Listen, these roots are really, really important. So your next step, uh, you receive a kind of card when you come in, and on the card, it says, question to consider. I shared with you, you know, identity in Christ stuff. If, you, if there's some need in your life, I want you to write these two words, I am, and then you're going to finish that with a third word or a phrase. I am. And if you're lonely, here's the answer. I am a constant companion of Christ. If you're tired, I am filled with the strength of Christ. If you're uh, feeling failure right now, I'm forgiven. If you're feeling shame, I'm unconditionally loved. If you're feeling doubt, I have the faith of Christ. Why? Because I'm telling you, Christ is in you, and you can appropriate these things. And maybe your next step is meditation. Maybe your next step is the prayer team, someone who will be there in a moment. Why? Because maybe you're like this. I don't know if Christ even is in me, let alone rooted. There's people who'd love to pray with you. So let's take a step together toward rootedness in order that you might be filled with the fullness of God. Father, meet us now as we respond. We pray in the name of Christ who is our hope. Amen.